0: This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Well, this is a case study, um, very obviously, about the automobile market in Argentina and Brazil. Um, So a few things before I tell you what this is about. Uh, Argentina and Brazil are important trade partners in the sense that a lot of their international trade uh, goes on bilaterally, especially in the case of Argentina. Um, and the automobile sector is actually a pretty important part of bilateral trade. So uh, I will be talking mostly about data for the late 90s. So let me give you an example for 97 um, exports uh, of Finnish cars from Argentina to Brazil accounted for 17% of exports in that direction. Now, in the the opposite direction, from Brazil to Argentina, Finnish cars were 10% of total exports. Uh, So it's a pretty important sector in bilateral trade. And actually, when uh, Brazil and Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay formed uh, Mercosur, uh, this was one of the most uh, sensitive sectors. And that led to more conflict and Mm -hmm. more negotiations and um, actually the Mercosur negotiations started in in the beginning of the 90s and by 95 a lot of tariffs had already been phased out however for the automobile sector the phase outs of the tariffs started only in 95 when most of the other sectors were already into the customs union and uh, to the present the car sector has not been fully liberalized yet So um, there are many trade restrictions. I'm I'm going to describe all that. And what I'm studying here in this paper is precisely what's going to be, um, so I'm comparing the trade policies that were in place during the late 90s, and I'm comparing that to the trade policies that should occur under a full customs union in cars. And so, so I'm looking at what is the effect of these changes in policy on trade flows and in particular uh, this uh, the liberalization is not just tariffs there are uh, several trade restrictions that take other forms and well I will describe that in more detail later but in particular there's a uh, there was and there still is to some extent a trade balance constraint so this means basically that the value of imports cannot be larger than the value of exports and this has applied by firms and, and this leads to some uh, w- results that could, in, pr- in principle, uh, go in the opposite direction that one what one can imagine because it's a trade restriction. But sometimes it can induce to more trade in some directions. Um, so that's w- what I'm going to be uh, describing. All these. So, so basically, what I want to do here is quantify what are the effects on trade flows of these changes in policy that should occur because of uh, Mercosur. So let me tell you a bit about um, the automobile sector, so there are 10 firms that have production in both countries, let me show you here uh, the market share so you have an idea. The data that I will be using goes from, um, it's for four years, 96 to 99. So there are, uh, this is sorted according to the market share, uh, this is a market share in units, not in value in Argentina, so you have there the main firms are Fiat, Renault, Volkswagen, Ford and uh, Peugeot and GM and then there's also Chrysler, Toyota, Honda and Mercedes, but they they have a very small market share and in Brazil you can see there are basically four uh, firms uh, which have large market shares, the rest are very very small so the, the, the point here is uh, these are the same firms. Uh, they are all multinational firms. They are not purely Brazilian or Argentine firms. These are multinational firms that have some local uh, partners, and they produce in both countries. Um, in general, they produce different models in each country. So, um, generally, they produce smaller cars in Brazil and medium-sized cars in Argentina. Um, this is not strict, of course. They are. Uh, uh, exceptions, but in general, um, it's not that the production is completely different in both countries. For example, in the case of the Ford Escort, they used to produce the Escort in both places, but they produced the two-door version in Brazil, the four-door version in Argentina. So there, there was some specialization in production, and so they they trade bilaterally. So the, the cars produced in Brazil are sent to Argentina, and vice versa. And they also import and export to the rest of the world. Um, so these are the firms that I'm going to focus on. And these are the firms for which I, I will do the analysis. These are the firms that produce in both countries. There are also other cars that are just imported. For example, the most important in, the, in, in this case, or in the case of Argentina, actually, are Rover, Isuzu, and Deivo. There are some imports of these cars but these firms don't have local production so the reason why this matters is is because um, they are subject to different trade policies depending on whether they have local production or not and these firms that don't have local production are subject to more restrictive trade policies and um, they have a very very low market share Uh, they are about five together, all the importers that don't have local production are about five percent um, of the, of the of finished cars. <clears throat> um, just to have an idea of, intern- uh, of what is the, um, the, val- the, the how, is, uh, how, how prevalent trade is, in Argentina, as you can see, 70% of cars are produced domestically. In Brazil, about 80%. Then bilateral trade is about 15%, and um, uh, imports from the rest of the world are 16 and 4% for Argentina and for Brazil. So now the trade policy. Um, so there are many changes here. Um, Traditionally, it was very protective, especially in the 80s. It was In the 80s, it was virtually impossible to import cars. Um, then, in the beginning of the 90s, they uh, started to liberalize, and also they started to liberalize bilaterally. So in 1990, there was an agreement between Brazil and Argentina, and they agreed to trade cars at zero tariff. Uh, but there were important quantitative restrictions. So there were quotas. Uh, So trade was far from being free, Um, but the tariff was zero. So there was a quota that actually didn't take the form of a usual quota. It was a quota on net imports. So, for example, here you have the quota for Argentina. It's basically a quota on the difference. This applies to units, not to values. And the quota sets a limit to the difference between the imports and exports to Brazil. And in the case of Brazil, they had something exactly the same. The the, uh, difference between imports and exports to Argentina could not exceed a certain limit. So what what these quotas are doing together at the same time from both countries is just put a lower and an upper bound on uh, the difference in bilateral trade. And again, this is in units. Um, so this goes on, it's, this started in the 90s and went uh, in 1990 and went on for the for the whole decade basically. Then in 95, uh, Mercosur was formed and at the same time both countries also introduced this uh, trade balance constraint. So the trade balance constraint takes this form. So here you have first the trade balance constraint in Argentina. So. What this is saying is, well, here on the left, you have the total value of imports from Brazil and from the rest of the world. And that cannot be larger than the total value of exports to Brazil and to the rest of the world, plus some other export credits for investment or uh, exports also of uh, auto parts. And the exports here are multiplied by 1.2. So you have this restriction in Argentina and in Brazil. And this is actually, This has to hold for a period of, uh, for the period 96, 99, which is a period that I study. So it's not by year, it's for the full uh, time period. Um, Now, the reason why this trade balance constraint is so interesting is because it's it's applied at the firm level. So each firm at the beginning of the period 96, 99 had to present a plan of imports and exports uh, that was uh, credible that they were able to that, that they were going to able to satisfy this constraint and um... the thing is that it it provides incentives to sometimes export more than uh... what would be natural without constraints
1: right, just a quick clarification, this is on the outputs so it's the first output of cars within this sector and it's the exports on the Brazilian
0: side yes. I'm not sure, uh, as so opposed to what?
1: Re import cars, so how could they that the firm level satisfy
0: Re import cars, so because they have production in both countries. If you apply it at
1: the firm level, yes. And you count up the number of cars it exports? Yes. The firm that produces cars never imports cars. So false marketing, Import false
0: No, no, they do, they do import. I mean, uh, at some point, in, at some year, they import.
2: It's a multinational firm with, with
0: they, I mean, well, they, they, the restriction is in, in, on exports anyway. They, 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 all, they do export, and it, it's not bilateral anyway. They export to the rest of the world. I mean, all firms export for sure. All of these ten firms export. No, no, no. The imports. No, 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 no. Imports go through firms, not through dealership. Imports go through firms. The ones that go through dealers are, are the ones that don't have production. So this was a case of Rover, these other firms that don't have production. So in that case, they are dealerships. But uh, but these firms, uh, they import themselves. So it's all intra-firm. Um, so the, the point here with this trade balance is, well, if you look at this, here imports uh, from Brazil. This is exactly the same as this value of exports to Argentina, right? So uh, a firm can satisfy this constraint, needs to satisfy this constraint at the same time in both countries. So what I find in the data, for example, is that this constraint here in Brazil is more binding. So firms have an incentive to export from Brazil to Argentina to, re- to relax this constraint. So if a firm in Brazil exports to Argentina they get an export credit here and of course they get the opposite from the Argentine side but depending on on which of the two is more binding it may be profitable for the firm to export more than they would if if this trade balance constraint wasn't in place so this depends on it being exactly intra-firm trade because it's the same firm they can manage exports uh, and have the export credits where they are more um, convenient. So this is a situation in 95 they have set up this trade balance constraint for the next four years and well during the Mercosur negotiations then what is agreed between the two countries is that during the period 96-99 there's going to be sort of a convergence to a customs union that should be achieved in the year 2000. So what this means is that, first of all, the tariff is already zero between the two countries, as you can see here, since 1990. So from the point of view of the tariffs, this means that they um, need to converge to a common external tariff, that is uh, 35%. It also means that they need to eliminate the two non-tariff barriers. So the two non-tariff barriers are the quota on net imports, and the trade balance constraint. Um, So this is the agreement. What happens in practice is, well, they do converge to the tariff of 35%. They do eliminate these two non-tariff barriers. But they set up a new trade balance constraint that operates bilaterally. And that is in place also uh, until now. So now, in 2006, they are supposed to resume negotiations and try to liberalize trade. Uh, fully. So, this is what I'm studying exactly what's supposed to happen when, when trade is liberalized fully. And so that you have an idea of the evolution of tariffs, um, this is during this convergent phase out period, 96 99. It goes from 7% to 35% in Argentina, and it, it, it moves around the 30s and high 20s in Brazil uh, for that same period. <clears throat> so just as a summary the period that i have for data, uh, the period that i have data for is 9699 and there you have that the bilateral the internal tariff for bilateral trade is zero uh, countries have a different external tariff they have the trade balance constraint and they have a quota on net imports so this is the actual trade policy during my period of data and what i'm doing here is well i'm using this data to say what is going to happen when they move to a customs union in which the internal tariff is zero, the common external tariff is 35%, and there are no non-tariff barriers. So the challenge here is um, I want to isolate the effects of the change in trade policy, so I don't want to wait until uh, trade is fully liberalized to compare sort of a before and after uh, what was going on in 96-99, what's going on with the customs union. I don't don't want to do that because that involves I mean there were devaluations in between, there were crises there are changes in the car industry, there are changes in uh, technical progress there are many things so I want to get rid of all those factors and I want to focus only on uh, what is the consequence of the change in trade policy. So the way to think about this is well, what would have been uh, the equilibrium, the, the trade flows during the period 96 99 if the trade policy had been different? So, But with all other uh, factors uh, being the same. <clears throat> um, no, very clear. So, what do we expect to find here? Well, um, there are basically two changes one is the change in the external tariff which is basically an increase in the case of both countries. When they converge to the common external tariff, the the tariff is increasing. Um, So that that should have a pure trade diversion effect. So there's going to be more bilateral trade. So so a higher external tariff means um, the the cost of uh, cars coming from the rest of the world is going to increase. So there's going to be more bilateral trade, and there's going to be less trade with the rest of the world. Um, On the other hand, so that's pure trade diversion. So on the other hand, we also have the elimination of the non-tariff barriers. And here we have that, well, there's going to be more trade with the rest of the world. And with respect to bilateral trade, but we really cannot tell. I mean, we will be able to tell after the estimation. But in advance, we cannot tell because uh, of this weird trade balance constraint that is providing incentives sometimes to trade more instead of to trade less. So just to, to, to anticipate what the results are going to be, what I'm, what I'm finding is that after you remove the trade balance constraint, exports from Brazil to Argentina actually fall. So, so this trade balance constraint is creating trade in a way, artificial trade. Um, so how am I doing with time? We have another time. OK. Um, So the data that I have is, again, for the period 96-99, and what I have are sales um, by vehicle model. So for example, one model would be Ford Escort hatchback. Um, I have this for Argentina and for Brazil. I also have the prices per model, and I have physical characteristics per model. And I also have some household survey information to uh, characterize the consumer side. So I'm not going to spend much time talking about the the estimation strategy, but just want to give you a quick look at what I do. Um, I estimate, because I have all this data on the different models, I can estimate a demand function for each car model. So what I'm going to estimate is for each year, you, you have the, these are, so this thing here is demand in Argentina, that's why we have the A, and for car model J, at time t, and this depends on a price vector of all the car models available in Argentina. Of course, the the own price is going to enter uh, asymmetrically than the rest of the price, but overall it will depend on the whole price vector. Um, So I'm going to estimate that demand function, and then I'm doing the same for Brazil. And the thing here, this is a static demand function, so it depends only on current prices, and there are no linkages between countries. Uh, so what I estimate here is a multinomial logic, basically. Uh, it's a discrete-choice framework, and I, I get one demand function for each car model. Um, then on the supply side, w- what I have here is, well, I, I have a model of um, firm behavior. So this is an oligopoly, products are differentiated, and firms in prices. So they set prices, taking uh, the prices of the other firms are, are as given, and the important part is that I can incorporate the trade policy into the supply side so here's where the trade policy enters in the the firm decision-making process so the tariffs are going to enter because they are a cost and well, the non-tariff barriers are also going to enter into the supply side because firms need to satisfy those restrictions so now I have these very long equations actually to say something very simple firms are maximizing profits which is a price minus a marginal cost times quantity summed over all the possible vehicles and so they maximize this in Argentina and in Brazil and they are subject to the trade balance constraint Uh, the trade balance constraint just means again value of imports less than 1.2 value of exports and they are also subject to a bilateral quota and again this is a lower and an upper bound in the the difference in the uh, traded number of units So what I have here are these huge Lagrangians with the objective functions, the constraints. And from all that mass, you get these very short first order conditions, which are just the typical uh, first order conditions when there is imperfect competition. So we have the quantities, a matrix of price derivatives, price and marginal cost. Now the important part here is again, how the trade policy is entering these first order conditions. So that goes, into how the so as you see here we have here the marginal cost is C star so um... the marginal cost has a few components one is the production cost so for example let's consider this is a marginal cost in Argentina here for a car produced in Argentina so the marginal cost is just the cost of production then for a a car that is imported from the rest of the world the marginal cost Then to that you need to add the cost of the tariff and to that you also need to add the shadow cost of the trade balance constraint. In the case of a car coming from Brazil, you have the cost of production and this is a cost of the trade balance constraint. Now it takes a different form again because this is a part of the imports from Argentina. So this is how this is the cost how the cost increases because of the trade balance constraint in Argentina but at the same time when uh, a car is sent from Brazil to Argentina the trade balance constraint in Brazil is relaxed so this lowers the cost a little bit here, more than a little, I mean it's multiplied by 1.2 so um, so what, what I'm doing here is I'm, what I do is I estimate the production cost and I estimate this. Uh, shadow cost here, these Lagrange multipliers which are the the cost of the, tra- of the trade balance constraint and this mu are the cost of the of the quotas. So I estimate all these parameters the T's the, are the tariffs which I already know I don't need to estimate that so I, I use the data for 96.99 to estimate these parameters and then what I do is, well I just run two counterfactual exercises the first one is I want to know what is the effect of the non-tariff barriers so the non-tariff barriers are entering here through the landas and the muse so I I just I get rid of those then I have this new definition for the marginal cost here the marginal cost uh, it's the production cost and the tariff in the case of imports from the rest of the world and the non-tariff barriers have been eliminated, the cost now doesn't depend on, the, the, the cost doesn't depend on those. And I can solve for a new demand and supply equilibrium in which a definition of the cost has changed. And this is taking, uh, accounting for the new trade policy without non-tariff barriers. Then I run a second counterfactual exercise. And here, if you see, if you look here, we have TA and TB. And in counterfactual 2, we have T and T. That is a common external tariff. So... Basically, the move from the observed situation to counterfactual one gives me the effect of the non-tariff barriers, and the move from counterfactual one to counterfactual two gives me the effect of the adoption of the common external tariff. Um, So again, the the good thing here is this is isolating the effects of the, the changes in trade policy without other changes in demand or in cost because of... Devaluations, technical progress, changes in income, or uh, many other factors. Um, so I'm going to very quickly show you the main results. So here, these are my estimates for the costs imposed by the non-tariff barriers. So, So if you look at this column here and this column here, These are Lambda A and Lambda B. These are estimated by firms. So, what this gives me, for example, if you look at this 0.29 here, this means that Chrysler, when making decisions in Brazil, um, is considering that the production cost is increased by 29% because of the trade balance constraint. So, they would like, so the trade balance constraint is having, of course, a positive effect on cost. They would like to be Uh, importing more from the rest of the world, but they have this restriction that increases cost by 29%. Now the important thing to see here is this cost is in general much higher in Brazil than in Argentina. So the trade balance constraint is much more restrictive in Brazil than in Argentina. Um, Then what we want to know is um, how is this affecting bilateral trade? So again, if you remember What happens when a car is shipped from Brazil to Argentina? Well, the trade balance constraint is tightened in Argentina by a percentage lambda A, but then the trade balance constraint is relaxed in Brazil by a percentage 1.2 times lambda B. So this number could be either positive or negative, and that means that the trade balance constraint could be having a positive or a negative effect on cost. So what I find here, and of course this is a result of the previous uh, columns, what I find here is that this trade balance constraint has a negative effect on cost in Argentina and a positive effect on cost in Brazil. So what the trade balance constraint is doing is firms want to have an incentive to send cars from Brazil to Argentina because they want the export credits in Brazil more than in Argentina. So, um, So they have this incentive to trade more because of the constraint. Um, So calling it a trade barrier, in a way, it's kind of a misnomer there, because it's increasing trade, Um, which is not necessarily a good thing, right? I mean, it's just creating trade in an artificial way. Um, So what I want to show you now is with this, uh, with these estimates that I have, I run the counterfactual exercises, and uh, what I can tell is how trade flows are uh, going to change when, um, with the changes in trade policy. So first of all, I want to show you here what what is the change in, in, uh, the estimated change in in external imports, (laughs) that is imports from the rest of the world. Um, So we have here the two separate effects. First of all, what happens when the non-tariff barriers are eliminated? So here we we already have an idea of what should happen. This this has an, 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 the, the effect here is not ambiguous, Eliminating the non-tariff barriers in this case has a negative effect on cost. And here we can see then uh, that there's an important price reduction, uh, 15% in Argentina, 10% in Brazil, of the cars coming from the rest of the world. Um, And of course, there's also an increase in the number of units. Um, Then for the case of the adoption of the common external tariff, the effect is the opposite because the external tariff is going up So this means the cost of imported cars from the rest of the world is going up, 12%. And this is actually relevant for Argentina. In the case of Brazil, um, the tariff is very, very close to 35% during this period. So the the common and external tariff is is very small. So the change in price is less than 1%. Um, Overall, what we care is the joint effect of these two things. And overall, we have that the the, um, elimination of the non-tariff barriers uh, is predominant here. So this has one important consequence, which is that um, revenue, because of tariff, is going to to increase a lot. Because we have that trade flows are increasing because the elimination of the non-tariff barriers uh, has a huge effect. Um, But on the other hand, the tariffs are also being raised, especially in the case of Argentina. So tariff revenue is going to increase by a lot. And actually, I have the number here. These are the two uh, changes in revenue. And again, this is coming mostly from the increase. (laughs) I'm not looking that way. (laughs) This is coming from the increase in trade due to the elimination of the non-tariff barriers. So finally, this is the last slide. Um, I want to see what's happening with the bilateral trade. Um, So here we have... The elimination of the non-tariff barriers. Here's what we could potentially have this ambiguous effect: um, that now it's not ambiguous anymore. We already know in which direction it should be. Um, cars, uh, prices of Brazilian cars were too low in Argentina to encourage exports from Brazil. So after removing the non-tariff barriers, prices go up. In Brazil, it's exactly the opposite: um, prices of Argentine cars were too high to stop imports, exports from Argentina to Brazil. So after eliminating that trade barriers, prices go down. And, of course, the opposite with quantities. And, um, well, then we have here the adoption of the common external tariff has a very small effect in both uh, in bilateral trade. So the, the I, I don't have the numbers for domestic production here, so the conclusion here should be that the adoption of the common external tariff is mostly having an effect through uh, on domestic production rather than on bilateral trade. Um, okay, so to conclude, <laughs> um, there are a few things going on here. This is uh, a switch to a customs union, but it's not in, uh, the changes in trade policy are not the textbook case in which tariffs are raised and uh, internal tariffs are go to zero. In this case there are also changes in non-tariff barriers, so the conclusion is when we have these non-tariff barriers you, you, we need to be careful because, for example, here we have all these uh, trade creation effect with the rest of the world because of the elimination of the non-tariff barriers, and on the other hand uh, we have the trade, trade deviation effect of the raising the external tariffs, And also we have this weird effect on bilateral trade, which is not weird, it's very intuitive, but we have what we call a trade barrier. However, when we take it out, um, bilateral trade is lower because this alleged barrier was actually creating trade. Um, Okay, so that's about it. Thank
2: you. All right. Thank you very much for letting me discuss this paper. It's uh, I I was a bit freaking out, you know, to discuss a trade paper, and I'm sort of more an an I/O guy. But actually, it was sort of an I/O paper, so I I felt like maybe I have something useful to 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 say about this. Uh, So, but but not being a trade paper, a trade person, I I, the first thing I did is like, okay, let's step back for a second and and sort of think of what is going on here and how this kind of to affect this tariff effect and this non-trade barrier, no tariff barrier, kind of effect are going to, to, to play out. So so what are we talking about? We have like two countries, uh, A and B, Argentina, and that's an attractive Argentina and Brazil kind of picture. Uh, and, and and the rest of the world, W. And there are three forms of government intervention that that we are going to play with. One is just a tariff on import from W, but not within bilaterally between A and B, There's the global trade balance, which basically is the cumulative value of the total imports cannot be too different across the two two countries where the emphasis is in the cumulative, it's across the whole period rather than like year by year. And and it's the total, it's the value rather than quantity, uh, which are going to basically have to be sort of similar or up to 20% from each other. And there's the, the bilateral trade balance that has to be similar which is going to be having to hold like a year by year and it's going to be only bilateral imports and it's sort of at the quantity level rather than, but they're going to sort of play out in a similar way. Basically, it's going to make things similar going kind of between Brazil and Argentina. So, so then kind of let's try to split the effect to two and sort of Irene sort of did it. So let me just repeat some of it and maybe make some kind of thoughts kind of along the way is, is so what does the tariff does? It's kind of the typical thing, it's like higher tariffs are going to make kind of imports from, w, from the world kind of more costly, it's going to increase prices and lower quantities of cars that are, being, are coming to, to Argentina and Brazil from the world, it's going to increase demand for, for the Argentina and Brazilian cars within Argentina and Brazil, and probably higher quantities and probably also higher prices. And the big question of the paper, okay, how big it is and let's quantify it. And it's going to depend basically on two, two empirical quantities that Irene is estimating. One is sort of substitution and demand. If we thought that sort of all the, all the cars that are coming from the world are completely different type from, from those that are in Argentina and Brazil, then probably the effect is not that big. If the cars are very similar and most of the people that when they, you jack up the price by 10% on the world cars uh, are going to switch to kind of local cars, then you, the, the effect is going to be huge. And that's exactly what the demand system is going to, to deliver to us. The, the second effect here, and that's sort of, sort of in interaction with the other kind of part of the, the intervention, because of the trade balance constraint, then whenever you reduce the, the import from the world due to the increase in the tariff, then now you have kind of more room to maneuver with bilateral trade. So every single sequel, an uh, in increase in tariff is going to have more substitution towards kind of imports from the bilateral partner, rather than from the domestic production, because suddenly they are less constrained. But that's going to be true only if the the constraint is binding. If it wasn't binding, then there wouldn't be any effect. And in that sense, just going back to the last slide that Terenel showed, look, so if you you run the the, the counterfactual, sort of the, the, the order, because of the interaction, the order is going to matter in terms of quantify each effect because there, there is this interaction. It's not like two separate effects that we are taking out. Are like some, the first one you do is actually capture both its, its own effect and the interaction effect. So it's something to, to think about. And then just a comment here is basically that that all the things matter matter are, are going to depend on the substitution and demand and on whether the the, the trade balance kind of uh, binding. But you can think about the mirror image of that and the effect of the, of the change in tariffs within the data is going to tell us something potentially about these, these quantities. So, so you might use it actually for identification. The second part is sort of, is, is the, is sort of the more complicated one maybe of, of, of the effect of the, of the trade balance constraint. And let's kind of do the, the reverse kind of exercise of, of let's start with, with no constraint. So we're just kind of optimally producing and importing between Argentina and Brazil and just. Leave the world sort of as given for for the simplification, uh, and basically, if under this kind of condition things are similar, then taking it or putting this trade balance constraint is not going to make any difference. If they are very different, then well, now the constraint is binding, and we need to kind of get them closer to each other. Uh, so, for example, if without the constraint the imports from B to A are more than the exp- than exports from A to B, then A imports are have to go down, and A exports are going to go, uh, A imports are going to go down, and A exports are going to go up. And, uh, but, but the total effect on trade volume is going to go either way and that's exactly the empirical question and it's going to depend on the relative elasticities and markups in each country and, and, and basically the finding in the paper is that the, the overall effect is that total trade is going to go down once we take off the tariff but it could have gone either way depending on sort of the demand system so what's the empirical strategy of the paper so I'm going to be even shorter than Irene on, on what she does in the demand and she just estimated what is now become like almost a standard kind of uh, random coefficient demand system in the, in, in the literature uh, and separately for Argentina and Brazil cars. Uh, we are both sort of it, but just the, like tons of work going into this uh, kind of, that needs to be very appreciated. Uh, once we have the demand system in place, then we have this, this markup thing. So prices are, so we do the first order condition of firms and, and then the, the marginal cost of the car can be just written as the price of the car minus the markup, prices we observe in the data, so the prices of, of car J in host country H and in year T, and markup does the nice thing from the demand system, we sort of get it as a function of the data and the parameters that we already estimated. So basically on the right-hand side of this part is only is observed already completely or estimated from, from the demand system, so we can basically just have a, F data about the, 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 the marginal cost or the relevant marginal cost of production J H uh, T. So the marginal cost of production of car J at host country H at year T. And that's what we are going to call or we're uh, gonna call sort of something like the implied marginal cost. And the key thing is this implied marginal cost are going to have kind of two things in them. One, they're going to have the sort of the true pro- marginal cost of production. And second, they're going to have the other stuff that is coming from the intervention Part of it is just the tariff, and for, for the world cars. And the other part is sort of the shadow cost that's coming from the constraints whenever they're binding. Uh, and, and 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 the key exercise is sort of the, the key identification assumption here is going to be that the production cost of the same car is going to be the same in both countries. So if I produce a Toyota Corolla both in Brazil and in and in uh, Argentina, then the, the the true marginal cost is going to be the same. So any any difference in the implied marginal cost that is coming out of this exercise is going to be interpreted as, as, as part of it is the tariff that I sort of know what's the, just kind of percentage, kind of markup, or marking up the cost. And, and the other part is sort of the shadow cost of, of the constraint, which I, I'm going to basically estimate. Uh, so, so, so let me make two main comments about the, about the paper. So one is this identification assumption that I just kind of pointed out. So, so Irene is very clear about this assumption. But I, I, I'm a little bit concerned uh, about whether it's true or not. Or, you know, it's like what you had before, like, you know, every identification assumption you need to believe or not. But you, you can always do something in order to kind of make us more comfortable believing it. And, and one thing to go in, in favor of this assumption is that we are not producing these cars in the, in two different countries. It's the, it's the same sort of production facility, presumably, that they're producing the same cars. So in that sense, you do think that marginal cost of production are sort of similar. But you might think about shipping costs and storage costs and and, and distribution costs, like dealer commissions that may vary across Argentina and Brazil, and that's going to make a a wedge between the relevant marginal cost in in selling a car in Brazil and the relevant marginal cost of selling the same car in in Argentina, and instead of thinking about this as the the shadow cost of of the constraint, it might be something else. And the only kind of constructive point on this I have is, is that you can easily try to not go all the way relaxing it, but at least somewhat, by, for example, saying, well, maybe shipping cost uh, is the same uh, for all cars, not for a, particular, uh, for a particular manufacturer. So basically, you have like a fixed effect of, of, of kind of Argentina effect or Brazil effect, but you still have variation within each kind of car model or within each firm that is going to tell you something about the, the shadow cost of, uh, of, of, of the constraint. And, and, and the second kind of main comment that I had is, is like, Irena showed before sort of the, the change in, say, the, the change in tariffs in, in Argentina. So sort of in the data we have huge changes in tariffs from like 4% to 17% on the, on the world tariffs. And, and sort of I was thinking, suppose I, I didn't like all this high-powered kind of demand system stuff and just wanted to do the simplest exercise I would do. It's probably I would just kind of put on the right-hand side the sort of the tariff change in Argentina and see what happens to kind of various quantities, like quantities and prices in Argentina, mainly in Argentina, uh, from from these changes. And we are almost not using it. For for almost everything we do, we we primarily use the demand system to, to inform us about something. And you can actually kind of use this variation much more in order to kind of inform us about both the demand system and sort of the g- general effect of tariff, which is the one that we are we are interested in uh, <coughs> so I, I, I just like to see kind of something and even within the system the that, that, that is estimating one obvious thing to me at least and unless I'm missing something is just use the tariff as sort of another instrument for prices that's kind of much better than the BLP type instruments that is using, but everybody's complaining about. So here, if you have actually, it, it's not going to vary across cars that much, but at least you have something that is shifting prices like crazy for certain cars in Argentina and, and you can just use it. Uh, and, and the other thing which is related is, is sort of, you, you have pretty strong estimates about which constraints are binding and to, in which direction of the trade balance constraints. Show us something about the true kind of constraints and the true quantities and shows that indeed those that you think are binding from the estimation are indeed kind of seem to be binding in terms of they are kind of 20, 20% above the, the the other side or vice versa, just as a sanity check that the numbers are not coming from the demand system or misspecification but from something real that is consistent with, with what we see in the data. And then finally, a bunch of other comments. Uh, <coughs> one on the demand system, I would basically estimate demand and supply together just to kind of Increase efficiency and, and, and goodness. And basically, we don't care about the demand per se. We care about the, what the demand implies for, for the implied cost. So I would just plug them together. And I would probably kind of not estimate it separately for every year. Just, you know, these are, you know BLPs. they estimate the same kind of coefficient on demand for 20 years. I think you can, you'll, you'll be fine just estimating kind of one demand system for four years and then use better the variation sort of across cars uh, and, and see what... The, You allow all the coefficients, to be completely IT-specific. At least that was my reading, but I I might have gotten it wrong. Uh, And and, and another minor point that you can actually make it even more kind of better fit is is if you allow the mean utility level, not the substitution pattern, but the mean utility level to go with a product dummy, and it's going to improve your fit and sort of probably make it more flexible. And to the extent that you mainly want flexibility from the demand system in this case, then I think you might want to do it. Uh, The second point is sort of these are big policy changes. We are moving the tariff like we are doubling it to Argentina, we are taking completely the the constraints. You might think that we don't only going to have kind of effects on the intensive margins of prices, you might actually have like production facilities being moved around. So for example, kind of if Brazil was kind of the constraint and now we are going to kind of put more production facilities in Brazil because now we don't have to actually produce stuff in Argentina and sell them in Argentina. So if it's cheaper or economies of scale or something, you might think uh, that, you know, in 96 or in, 96, in 2006 or 2010, they are going to start uh, shifting around production facilities. It's not in this paper. There's nothing much to do in this case, but I think it's sort of thinking about the whole effect of the policy. You want to think about who and when and how much they are going to do this kind of... Uh, stuff. And, 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 and finally, I, I, I kind of there's like a, the, the, this general trade balance constraint, which is sort of cumulative across the four years, there's some sense which I wasn't completely sure from the paper, and, 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 but, but exactly how it's being enforced, and these plans are getting approved. But, but the, the approach is that this is one constraint, we have perfect foresight, so we can actually solve the constraint over the four years. Presumably these are some imperfect foresight, there's a, some uncertainty in the environment, so you might think that this constraint is going to actually move around and be more kind of relevant as we get kind of to the end of the, of the, of the period where sort of you know whether we are going to hit the constraint or not, rather than early on, where we still have like three more years to, to sort of maneuver it to make it happen, sort of uh, if, if the, the, the noise is going kind of the other way that we want it to do. So you might think that this, the, the, the shadow cost of the constraint is going to move around over a year and then you sort of impose the same thing. It's not a big deal, but I wonder how, how big these effects are. So, mm-hmm. And that's about it. Thank you. Any questions? Mark?
1: I think this is a fascinating paper. It goes so deep into the detail of the true trade policies that I, I was tempted to think back to the term, um, what was it called this morning? Um, constructive ambiguity in trade policies. So this is exactly the kind of ambiguities you leave into the trade uh, agreements. No one really knows what's going on at all these different levels of, of tariffs and barriers that are non-tariff. It's, so it's great to investigate this. I have just two um, remarks. One is more like a um, question on the estimation and another one more like interpretation. These are multinationals and if repatriation um, policies for profits in the two countries are basically similar then multinationals could easily transfer price and fudge with those uh, GDP GTB uh, conditions the way they like by pricing cars to the other country at whatever they choose so I'm just wondering what that would do to the um, P minus C constraint in the estimation and the other um, more on the interpretation side, the other issue in the long run trade got to be balanced so we, whatever we export in value got to equal what we import so your restriction is really that we have it to balance within narrow product ranges rather than just overall but I'm not sure whether then I follow this interpretation that here is cra- trade is being created rather than restricted the way things seem to point is that Brazil wants to ship more cars to Argentina if you pull out the barrier that is what we want to see and of course there's got to be some stuff shipping back to Brazil um, in the long term at least um, possibly at different relative prices but on average the trade balance will have to um, balance So I just view this as a restriction on trade and if you relax it the trade would flow even further to Argentina in this segment of the market rather than not in other words, I see not a clear reason why you inter- interpret this as trade-creating rather than restricting, as we still, still think in the first one. Uh,
2: quick question. I, I think you know, these models assume uh, competitive behavior, price-taking. Um, if there is no... No? There's, there's okay, no, sorry. Uh, but there is no degree of uh, collusion that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. There's no degree of collusion, apart from differentiated products, there's no collusion. And, uh, but tar- if there is, because there are few competitors, four or five um, firm, main firms competing, and if there is a uh, decline in tariffs, this might affect the degree of competition or collusion uh, in the markets. How would that change uh, the, your estimates and the conclusions?
1: My question is really more on the policy side. I was interested when you said there's differential enforcement, and I'm wondering if you had any thoughts about why that might be. And I was thinking just as political scientists, sort of strategic implications for policymakers, whether or not they would want to enforce more or less restrictive. And maybe you know, policymakers in Brazil are trying to somehow artificially inflate exports by enforcing these GTBs more strictly than Argentina. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that.
0: but, uh, but response comment. Do, you really
2: need, do you really need the
0: assumption that uh, shipping co- uh, marginal costs are the same for identification? So my impression was you don't really have to have it, but if you do it, then you can relax some other assumptions that people usually make in order to back out the costs. So why, why couldn't she estimate uh, marginal costs and Lagrange multipliers by country separately? I, I don't think... Anyway, so, so that, that's my question.
2: I have a question on the welfare calculation. So you get that uh, consumers uh, in Argentina are better off, but that the profits of multinationals drop, but because they are foreign-owned, you don't include that in your welfare calculation. However, I was thinking that there might be costs to workers, not not if labor markets are flexible, because then, then they just move on to a different job, but if there are uh, labor market rigidities, um,
0: this might affect the welfare calculation. OK. Um, Well, first of all, thanks a lot for the comments, and I'm sort of embarrassed that you explained everything so much better than I did, I think, at least I thought, (laughs) and um, yeah, I mean, well, most of them are not questions, so I don't really have anything to answer, but um, I mean, most of the suggestions, uh, really, the reason why I haven't done some of those things, for example. Um, assuming shipping costs uh, is that well maybe I, I talked about the estimation part very fast but it's, it's really very complicated and time consuming and it basically had to do uh, with that more than anything else but yeah definitely adding some shipping costs uh, that would relax the assumption and, it, so, and, and I'm going to answer Penny's question at the same time then um, what I need is some parameters to be the same across countries so that I have degrees of freedom to estimate everything jointly so for example I could add some shipping costs and I could estimate that what I cannot do is estimate a different shipping cost for each car Um, I need to estimate, I I can estimate a number of parameters, I can estimate one shipping cost by firm uh, or by car size but not one by car so that's what I need Um, I'm not sure that's clear, but I, I need some of the costs to be the same across countries to to free up some observations to estimate the other parameters, the Lagrange multipliers. Yeah. And if I wanted to estimate some other cost, again, it would have to be under some restrictions. Um, so uh, about the other questions. So, um, Mark, you, have, uh, yeah. So definitely, this is assuming that trade uh, takes place at marginal cost. Um, the transfer prices in this setting in which there are, there's no incentive for profit shifting other than trade policy, the optimal transfer prices for firms will be zero, actually. So obviously I cannot include that. But uh, the reason why I'm comfortable with this is because I have talked to people in Argentina, not in Brazil. And, um, well, the prices cannot, the trade prices cannot be just chosen freely. There are government guidelines And people seem to consistently—they seem to think that they are consistently aligned with costs. So apparently, this is uh, this doesn't appear to be a big assumption. It's something relatively reasonable. Um, With respect to the trade balance, um, okay, what did I write down here? Um, Whether the trade balance was restricting or creating? um, So uh, maybe creating is not the right choice of words. What I'm trying to say here is you can have a trade barrier in in which you're restricting imports somehow i mean you're putting a restrictions that imports and exports have to satisfy but you could still have that exports are higher Uh, and that trade that that overall uh, trade flows are higher and in this case well i didn't have much time to talk about the results but in this case what i have is a total bilateral trade flows Fall after uh, taking taking out in, in the counterfactual exercise in which I take out the trade balance constraint. So, so yeah, maybe trade creation is not a great word because I'm not trying to imply that this is positive. I, I'm not implying that the constraint is positive. Just saying uh, it's not necessarily obvious that a constraint is going to to lead to uh, less trade. That's that, that's all. Um, About the differences in enforcement, I don't really have any anecdotal evidence or anything about that. Um, The way that the policies were implemented in theory were symmetric across countries. There was an authority that controlled, uh, that first had to approve the, the, the plans at the beginning of the period and then controlled year by year but i am not able to say if it was better enforced in one place or the other uh there's i mean at least there hasn't been a major scandal in any of the two countries <laughs> um but, but but there's no there's there's just no other um I, I i don't have any evidence or thoughts on this i I don't have any reason to think that there was different or 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 that they, it was not enforced um With respect of whether this trade policy affected the degree of collusion, um, what I'm doing here is assuming there's no collusion. Uh, If there is collusion... This is something that can be done, actually. I mean, it it can be done in the exercise. Um, it, It has... I'm not sure if here you mean whether sort of the structure of the market will be different because of a different trade policy or whether this uh, having, because there's also this idea that quotas sort of promote uh, collusion, not direct collusion, but rather that they provide this instrument that uh, allows firms to, um, uh, to, to, to sort of collude without colluding. But <laughs> um, that second aspect is captured. Because what I do when I do the counterfactual is solve the new Nash equilibrium. So if if there are changes in this second aspect, that that will be captured in my results. If uh, on the other hand, if it is a direct collusion, uh, no, I haven't I haven't uh, experimented with that. But that is something that definitely can be taken into account in this framework. Um, and the last question I think I hope I'm not missing something was about the profits included or not in welfare yes no that that's perfectly valid, and that's the reason why I actually include the results for, for profit i mean uh, yeah, total welfare could be computed including profits too um Again, that's why I break down all the profit components. I I didn't talk at all, (laughs) because you, (laughs) I didn't talk at all uh, about that here, but um, I I can also use every utility function, and I can compute all the different welfare components. And, um, well, the conclusions are that welfare increases in Argentina and profits decrease in Argentina and the opposite. Consumer welfare increases in Argentina and profits decrease in Argentina and in Brazil it's exactly the opposite. So, yeah, total welfare could be defined including profits or not. So, yeah, probably I should include both aggregates.
2: Well, thanks very much. Uh, We can uh, have our coffee break now and we'll convene at 3.15.